Good to go. Whenever you're ready, Jackie boy, give us the intro. Here we go then. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Cryptoversity. Uh, I'm Jack, and this is Mike. Hey, everyone. Great to be back. (laughs) Great to be back. I never know what to say when you say that. I know, I know. This is Mike. It is me. Intro's the hardest bit. (laughs) Uh, But today, Mike, we've got a very exciting episode, I think. Um, I think it's going to be one of our best, because... We've got a special guest on. Um, you've sourced this guest, so all credit goes to you. Do you want to let us know who he is and what he's going to be teaching us? Yeah, so, well, we had talked about doing an episode on the metaverse and, um, you know, delving a bit more into kind of what is the metaverse, what's the uh, potential of the metaverse, but there was a huge um, news story that came up just a couple of weeks ago of a large scale hack, or or sorry, I should say of the recovery and seizure of a large amount of Bitcoin from a hack about six years ago. So I reached out to a gentleman called Ari Redboard, who is the head of legal and government affairs for a startup called TRM Labs. So we'll, we'll talk more um, about Ari, or I guess we'll have him join the show um, in the studio here with us. Uh, but yeah, Ari is an expert on everything, cybercrime, money laundering, crypto, blockchain. Um, yeah, super, super intelligent guy. And he's going to kind of talk us through what happened in that hack and, and what the implications are. Yeah, brilliant. And it is a fascinating story, that hack. It really is. Like doing Absolutely some really wild it's brilliant. And this guy is basically the guy who knows all about it. Perfectly positioned to do it, isn't he? He's been on news channels all across the US talking about right. it. And um, yeah, can't wait. To yeah, I actually to saw it. him on um, CNN News doing an interview about uh, what had happened about that hack and was like, oh, I want to speak to this guy. I realized we had a couple of mutual connections and reached out. And I think he's also just, he's such a great guy. Like, yeah, I think, I think we're really going to enjoy that conversation. And um, he has a really great way of articulating really complicated things which is going to help because we need that yeah. we need it dumbed yeah. down i've asked him to bring to be honest crayons. even if he was a complete knobhead and was <laughs> terrible at articulating i think his credentials <laughs> and position in this is still worth getting him on he's that it's that good it's that yeah. impressive so yeah. um good yeah can't wait for that around that we'll obviously pad this out a bit with uh <laughs> with our usual stuff so we've got a bit of crypt we've got a bit of news that we always do, bit of crypto news. And of course, following its successful introduction last episode, an update on portfolio wars. Define where... successful, Jack. Define well, successful. I'm looking at my portfolio. Out. I'm not feeling all successfully that successfully recorded and published. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Successful is a is a interesting way of putting it. But yeah, we'll talk a bit more about that. Uh, Jack, before before we get into that, yeah. um, I wanted to know whether you have you been checking out our podcast analytics at all on Spotify and Apple? Of course, Mike. So I, I think I know where you're going with this. Go on. Do well, I logged into it for the first time last week and was having a look at our listener base. One was kind of blown away by how many um, listeners we have, um, and you know I don't want to question people's judgment, but. If you've listened to one episode, I'm not sure what you're doing coming back, to be honest. <laughs> but also was blown away that we have like a fairly reasonable following now in Finland and Norway, um, which... You yeah, just Scandinavia. Say that again? Scandinavian. Scandinavian legends we are, yeah. Um, do they even speak English in Finland and Norway? That's well... 
I'm guessing not, considering the quality of our podcast. Maybe they just like our tones, <laughs> our bloody tones. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And I don't know, I, I saw that. And then um, the next day I watched The Tinder Swindler, um, which is, a am sure you've seen it on Netflix as well, right? It's about these Norwegian ladies that have been hacked out of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Seem very naive very nice, very trusting. And it made me think, it kind of gave me a bit of an explanation as to why we've got a following in Norway. <laughs> very trusting. I'm sure these guys know what they're talking about. Um, but yeah, keep uh-huh. keep it up, guys. We love you in Finland yeah, and Norway. Thank God for the Scandinavian market, you know, keeping us afloat. Zero because, listens uh, in English-speaking countries. Yeah, let, yet to get some traction in the UK. But, um, but, but yeah, yeah so we've got listeners now in Finland norway australia the loving cryptoversy out in australia good day to all our listeners out there uh and a decent yeah. following now in, in the us and uk so yeah thanks for tuning in and sticking with us guys and we promise yeah. to try and get more um guests on like ari like luke um because that is the kind of the meat of the sandwich if you like that is the actual substance in between jack and i talking absolute shit yeah. if you're on youtube we'll time stamp it so you can skip straight to that <laughs> yeah nice right the comments yeah but um let's let's get on with it mikey okay let's get on with it scandinavia people are busy they want to yeah. they've got busy days well, they want to know the news as well right like that, that's well, they, do. they do before we got into the news though didn't you have a little uh you've been up to stuff mike haven't you in the crypto world yourself I have Jack. I've been I've been getting further and doing? further down the rabbit hole. And with the yeah. um crypto market continuing to drop, I don't want to buy more crypto. So I've found other risky, some would say even riskier ways of getting involved in the market. And I've actually made a couple of um investments in crypto companies. So these are companies wow. that are they're at seed stage which means they effectively are almost like pre-revenue. They haven't launched yet. They're, they're, they're so far away from being publicly traded and on the stock market, they're private companies still. But through angel investments, I've invested in um, five early stage crypto and blockchain companies. I can't Amazing. talk about the details of them now because it's still confidential. Those raises haven't been announced yet. But over the next couple of episodes, I think I will be able to. I think once it goes public. But some of them are really cool, really exciting, and um, have just opened my eyes to some of the other use cases outside of just investing for cryptocurrencies and for tokens in general. Amazing, Michael. So you're the angel. Angel uh, Michael. You could say that. Yeah. Well, one of them. The I'm, opposite. I'm part of, the literal yeah. opposite of how I view you. But yeah. <laughs> well, I'm trying, trying to clean up my brand. But um, <laughs> no, it's part part of a couple of angel investment syndicates. So I've joined a couple of different investing syndicates and I'm working with them to, to make some angel investments. There's not huge amounts of money, but the companies are so early on that um, in truth, 90% of them will fail. And that's just what the statistics say. 93% yeah. of early stage startups fail even after they've been funded. But the ones that do succeed, you're looking for anywhere from like a 10x return to a 100x return on that initial investment. So like I said, it's potentially the only way to get invested in crypto in a more risky way than just buying fucking Bitcoin at the moment. Um, mm. But yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And it also, Jack, I'd love to. Oh, oh sorry, go, go ahead. I was just saying, I'd love to learn more about the other types of crypto-based companies there are. It's like talking to Ari later. 
I'm looking forward to learning about his company that he works for because they're like a chain analysis company, aren't they? So you can so different ways to analyze a blockchain to determine right. what's going on, where stuff's going. So that's one one kind of branch of company that's come out of the crypto world. And I'm sure there's loads of others. And that's um, you spot on, right? It's that there's these tokens that are traded and um, that at the moment are used as an investment vehicle or as a utility within that ecosystem. But then there are all of these other companies that aren't nece don't necessarily have tokens or aren't investment opportunities from a currency or cryptocurrency perspective, but that service the wider crypto industry. They're kind of part of the crypto economy without necessarily having a token or being an investment. So, yeah, I think it would be really cool for us to first learn a bit about the tokens that we're invested in. I think that's maybe step one, just so we can understand yeah, yeah, what sure. our money in. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Then, yeah, learn, learn more about these companies. Um, yeah. another semester. big update, Jack, that the yeah. listeners may or may not be interested in is that we are both going to be potentially heading out to the Bitcoin conference, uh, oh, yes. in April, in a couple of months time, which should be pretty exciting in Miami. In so, Miami. Very exciting. Very exciting. So if you're, you know, Scandinavian friends again, book your flights now, if you want to meet us to Miami. <laughs> we'll so, have a little stall, shall we? Yeah, a little stall, yeah. a good diversity stall. <laughs> Are you definitely coming to that, by the way? I'm kind of announcing that on air, but you oh, have yeah. a I am. with me. My holiday's booked. It's been Boom. booked. Like, there I'll be is. there. I'll be there going to Miami. Dude, so, that's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's exciting. Never been to Florida, so look out Florida. It's Here great. I actually Jack. went last week. I was in Miami all of last week on a work trip yeah. and so much fun. Like, I, I, yeah, I think even, like the conference itself will be interesting, but it's also just going to be yeah. a, a great time. But yeah. Brilliant. Um, all right. Well, shall we jump into jump into news? Yeah, let's do our news. You're, you're slightly more prepared than me, having done it half an hour before the pod as opposed to my 10 minutes before the pod. So do you want to go first with your news? Uh, I do. I do. So my Good. news is um, inspired by um, me watching the Tinder Swindler recently. F thought that show was really interesting. I'm actually going to a costume party, like a fancy dress party with a few friends. Um, and the four of us are like dressing up as the Tinder Swindler. I'm not sure why that's relevant. That's not my news. That's not my news, by the way. But yeah, so this story is that um, it's not just on Tinder um, that Norwegian women are being taken advantage of, but it's also on other dating apps um, that crypto con artists are now uh, finding opportunities. And my news is about a woman who lost, they say lost, gave $390,000, $390,000 of crypto um, to somebody she met on Hinge, a dating app called Hinge. So Incredible. a 24-year-old woman from Tennessee, which in itself was, was a bit shocking to me, 24-year-old woman from Tennessee with $390,000 to spare, um, lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, 390 to be precise, after a mystery match on Hinge convinced her to invest in cryptocurrency, then disappeared with her Bitcoin, and it, it, uh, so she wasn't in Bitcoin initially. She no. got told to invest in it, and then they took the Bitcoin. Exactly. Oh God, I'm reading more now. I should have been a bit more prepared here. I feel bad making jokes. So Nikki Hutchinson uh, told the New York Times she'd inherited three hundred thousand after selling her family home following the death of her mother. 
So that's okay, actually so that's tragic. That's horrible, came. isn't it? Sorry, that was her, basically her inheritance. Yeah. Yeah, I don't mean to put down on the pod. I mean, um, how convinced? I want to read these convincing messages. To be honest, I mean that is a hell of a sales guide. I can't even get that. a date on him. Let alone three hundred grand. Positive match, let alone a three hundred grand. But that is impressive. And it is amazing that whole how convincing. I mean, Tinder swindler, and you hear about it just anecdotally, don't you? Just people getting conned in that way on these dating sites and apps. It is. It's sad, isn't it? When you hear well, you actually said, if I don't know if you remember, right? But you said I can't even remember the context, but it was on the podcast, so it's not like I'm airing you out. But you said sure. something about how um when you're first dating someone or when anyone is first dating someone, when you don't really know them that well, you kind of like build up this image of them just being kind of perfect. And like people often get infatuated and fall in love really quickly with the first date. You fill in the gaps, don't you, with the good stuff. Exactly. And if you've maybe never met this person, so the difference with the Tinder swindler for our Norwegian listeners was that at least those ladies went and met the guy he in person, yeah. like he took, them he gave to, the image, didn't he? Yeah. Right. He took them on private jets. Like if you pulled yeah. up to my house in a private jet, I would assume you doing well for yourself. I wouldn't assume you'd stolen it kind of thing. Like, so I think that yeah. that one is a bit more understandable, but I guess sure. even with this one, like Nikki Hutchinson's obviously in like a, a, a vulnerable state. She just lost a mom, sold the family home. She never met mm. this guy. So she That's met a amazing. man named how he had just H A O. Um, who they bonded over their um, shared Chinese roots. Their conversations moved to WhatsApp Messenger for over a month. They spoke over yeah. video chat once, but he only showed part of his face before hanging up. Um, some of the opera shit going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, part, part of his face. What does that mean? I don't Is he wearing know. a mask? What's going on? <laughs> it is weird, isn't it, that you would you hear so much about these stories, but that people still would send their life savings to somebody yeah. who showed them part it's, of their face and hung up. It's one thing getting excited about a date who's someone who isn't what they see, but and it's another thing sending hundreds of thousands of pounds to them, isn't it? That's another right. level up of kind of patheticness. I hate to say it, but it is. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard it's to hard. judge in that hard. kind of state. But so she, and I guess because, there's no way she's getting it back. Is there? Sorry. Continue. I on. don't think so, but she took out a huge loan. So at one point she had, a $1.2 million balance of crypto because she was taking out huge loans. Um, and yeah, he so basically what he'd said is that he needed her to pay $390,000 to pay off a tax bill for him, but that he was presumably going to like repay her. Um, and yeah, I, I did a bit, I actually did a bit of research slash it's in this article uh the the median loss for a crypto scam is nine thousand seven hundred and seventy dollars so it i mean i thought that was quite a large amount expecting to be like 50 bucks but um yeah so that's pretty significant but she obviously was well above that um and yeah it's just a just a sad story and yeah, I, th- I mean, look, there's the, the big hack that we're going to talk about later today, and that's obviously had a huge amount of coverage. I think that was like a $4.7 billion seizure, like largest seizure in US history. Um, but that there are these individual cases of that I guess are really hard to regulate for because it's just somebody, you know, she could have done a wire transfer, I guess, in the same way. 
Exactly. Um, yeah, crypto is almost yeah. the incidental party here, isn't it? Because those, I mean, before crypto, people were scamming people on dating apps constantly. Well, dude, the they? Tinder swindle, like they, those ladies didn't get their money back, and that was hundreds yeah, of thousands. Yeah, that of was money. Exactly. I guess the crypto element makes it even more obfuscated in terms of in terms of tracking it. Although then again, what we'll learn in the interview later is that actually, because the blockchain is a public ledger, if she, for instance, knew the um, the wallet addresses, they in theory could track where the, where right. that's gone, that Bitcoin. So yeah. interesting yeah. one to see how that- I hope she gets they, it back. So I'm sorry. Um, sorry for yeah. your last Nikki's, both financial and family, it's horrible. And yeah, yeah. reach out. If you want to come on the pod, Nikki, reach out. I'm sure you're listening. She's not Nikki's family, if you're listening. listening. But, um, well, yeah. 50-50. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I can send you my wallet address if you listen. But, okay, cool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's terrible. I feel, feel better. <laughs> Come on the podcast for a small fee. Um, yeah. I just need you to transfer a couple of hundred grand. I'm going to send it back, but it's just to verify your identity. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Nikki. I take you. I'm sorry. I'm joking. I'm very sorry. Okay. Come on. Now. Cool. Help uh, me out. Great news, <laughs> Mikey. Story. Love that. Yeah. Good bleak news, but good worthy news. Um, I'll get a bit bleaker with mine, <laughs> if you like. So, uh, so the headline of this one is Bitcoin miners revived a dying coal plant. Positive hyphen then co2 emissions soared uh, so this again is going back to the whole debate of the environmental impacts what does it mean is it too much can you compare it against the you know the, the money industry and all that mm. stuff so this is a it's quite an isolated case but i think it encapsulates what the sentiment is towards the, the environmental impact of bitcoin quite well so essentially uh in montana there was a coal plant called the Hardin Generating Station, and they called it the, the locals when it when the coal plant was going. They called it Death Watch because it was horrendously, um, it was just an awfully run place with loads of CO two emissions. And then it shut down, and there was quite a big. They were quite pleased that it shut down, but um, a Bitcoin mining company called Marathon. So there's another company type that another industry that stemmed off from crypto, actual mining companies that are, that are mining Bitcoin and other coins, they stepped in to take over the plant and now we've got it up and running again. Um, so initially, I think the locals were quite pleased. It meant, well, at least they'll be, you know, creating jobs and all that stuff. Um, so I'll read you this quote. As the Bitcoin miners moved in last year, Hardin roared back to life. In the first nine months of 2021 alone, the plant's boilers fired up on 236 separate days. Planet heating emissions from burning of Hardin's coal soared too, with 187,000 tonnes of carbon dioxide emitted in the second quarter of last year, more than 5,000% more than it was expelled in the same period when it was opened before in 2020. Um, how, how, sorry, how many times? What was that multiple? So 5,000% more. Ugh. Okay. Uh, in the third quarter, a further. A further, a further 206,000 tons of CO2 is emitted, a 905% increase on 2020. Um, so and the people aren't happy, essentially, in uh, uh, the people of Hardin. So, yeah, people just aren't happy in the area that, that this is happening. And there's a big backlash of the energy that it's that it's that it's causing, I think. Um, See, that's it's really hard, isn't it? And I think mm. you've challenged me on that a couple of times because... I, like, you know, I'm very um, passionate about 
I'm not passionate about climate change, very concerned about climate change and very... Yeah, I'd say you're very educated on it. Very More pessimistic is maybe the best way of putting it. Like, well, yeah. But um, I find it really hard to grapple with that. And I guess I almost like cognitively distance myself from the environmental effects of mining. Um, and I've seen a couple of people like Jack Dorsey made a convincing argument about how actually... My Bitcoin mining is not bad for the environment, but I can't remember. Like I didn't really commit any of it. Just kind of like avoided that topic. So I think we we have to dig into that further. Um, and that, yeah, I mean that that sounds horrific. Like you really feel yeah. for the people living there. Um, and yeah, that's a that's a that's a real problem. It is hard, isn't it? And it'd be interesting what happens when I kind of always I find myself thinking about the end game of Bitcoin specifically of once once all 21 million have been mined. Right. Because we will still need miners for the because you need mining for the transactions that are happening. To like verify everything. Um, right. But the reward for the mining. So the moment every 10 minutes a Bitcoin is mined and whoever whoever mines it gets that Bitcoin. Um, but do we know? So I th I think I looked at this. Um, okay, so I just Googled it. The last Bitcoin is expected to be mined sometime around the year 2140. Yeah. So like we're, we probably don't have to worry about it, but I know what you mean. It's an interesting no. like theoretical argument. No, and it, and doesn't it gets harder, doesn't it? So there are halvings yeah. that go on. So it like won't be every 10 years. minutes. It will be every 20 minutes or whatever. <clears throat> and that'll just mean more mining will be needed to get a Bitcoin. Right. As things ramp up. So, yeah, I wonder if because the, the, the popular argument is that, well, hang on a minute, like think how compare bit, the Bitcoin energy use to the energy use of the, the entire the, the conventional economic industry. So banks and everything. And yeah, that is a that is a good argument that you can make. Um, but it's it's whether I guess that holds up if you view Bitcoin as taking over from that rather than right. being alongside it. And um, and while it is alongside it, it's it just doesn't matter, does it? Like it it doesn't no. count as an argument to say, well, if it did, theoretically, if it did, a bit of a what aboutism thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah but it's, yeah, so I, it's an so, interesting one. But um, yeah, I think yeah. we, I definitely think we should do an episode, like a whole episode on that. Yeah, definitely. I have read about ways renewable centers doing it, so like ways of mining Bitcoin in a renewable fashion, mm. which you'd hope would gain would gain traction if. Uh, that. but i agree let's commit that to a full uh full episode for sure yeah but there we go a bit bleak we need some like happy news next week okay. is there like some bitcoin that saved a dog a from a burning building or something yeah. or you know we'll try and find something a bit of a pick me up um, definitely from those two downers um but yeah okay well shall we jump into our lesson for the week and um yeah. invite into the studio into the crypto in the waiting room Lecture yeah. hall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, one minute, Ari. One minute. Just didn't Buzz him in. Buzz him <laughs> yeah. in. Um, but yeah, let's jump into it. We'll um, welcome Ari to the show. So Ari, welcome to Cryptoversity. Um, as you know, this is a crypto for dummies show with Jack and I being, some would say overqualified as the dummies. Uh, and the real value of the show, the only reason people actually tune in is for our experts, for our professors, our lecturers that join us for each show. Uh, so we're really excited to have you on. And I know we've never met or, or spoken personally, but we've got a ton of mutual connections. And, and I'd worked with a couple of um, 
the guys you work with over at TRM. So thought we could maybe kick off with you giving us a bit of your background, what you're doing at TRM and kind of um, what your area of expertise is. Love it. Yeah, no, really appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Um, really looking forward to having some fun with you guys today and a, and a great conversation um, on crypto. Uh, so uh, yeah, by, by way of really quick background, um, I was a federal prosecutor for about 11 years at the Department of Justice. I, um, I focused uh, much of that time on threat finance. So money laundering, terrorist financing, uh, export control, uh, sanctions, criminal prosecutions, really anytime uh, bad guys were trying to use money to do bad things, that was kind of our jam. Uh, I, then, uh, I then left the US Attorney's Office about three years ago, and I went over to the US Treasury Department uh, where I was the senior advisor to the Undersecretary for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, which is like an only in the U.S. government job title. But uh, <laughs> essentially, I, uh, I was working in the office that oversaw all the national security apparatus with, uh, of the U.S. Treasury Department. So OFAC, which is the sanctions regulator, um, FinCEN, which is the U.S. Financial Intelligence Unit, the anti-money laundering regulator, and there's also an intelligence shop there and, and some other components. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I spent about two years in that role. And um, really as a prosecutor, and then again, a treasury, you know, I had different exposure to sort of cryptocurrency, um, more really trying to stop bad guys from using it for money laundering, fraud and financial crime uh, than anything else. And then, um, yeah, about... Uh, about a year, a little over a year ago, I um, joined TRM, which um, is a blockchain intelligence company. And essentially what we do is we work with uh, financial institutions, um, cryptocurrency businesses, and we also work with the public sector. So law enforcement, regulators, and really we're anti-money laundering for crypto. So we um, trace and track the flow of funds for investigations and we monitor transactions uh, for cryptocurrency exchanges, for brokers, for custodians, and then for sort of large, large financial institutions. So yeah, it's 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 been a um, huge adventure. I um, th I know this is sort of this is very much your world, but I, I've had a lot of very cool jobs. I've been very very lucky, um, uh, but I, I have the coolest one uh, now that I've ever had at TRM. So it's been uh, been a, been a pretty big adventure. Yeah, there, there's some very, uh, very smart guys over there at TRM, right? With Raul and Esteban, like super impressive founders. It's a great, um, it's a great team. And, you know, like I, I've always been very, very lucky in my career to work with great teams. You know, when I was a prosecutor, that's what we would do. We would put together great teams of agents, you know, in the U.S. from, you know, HSI, IRSCI, FBI, um, and you'd get the very best investigators, you know, whether it was crypto related or, or anything else. And you team them with great prosecutors. And I was very lucky to have that. And it was the same at Treasury when we'd be working like across all these different components, putting together great teams. And I've been really lucky to find that, um, find that at TRM as well. Awesome. Um, and what's your role, Ari? What's your role at, at TRM? Yeah, so um, I'm head of legal and government affairs. Um, but what a lot of what I do is work really closely with, um, you know, regulators, uh, law enforcement, and really sort of... Um, you know, helping to understand sort of like, what is the best product? What is the best blockchain intelligence product that we could build that really has ever been that can help um, allow for sound, thoughtful regulatory policy? You know, what the, what the really unique thing about cryptocurrency is, as you know, is that, you know, crypto lives and moves on an entirely open ledger. 
So we have never had more visibility on financial flows than we do today. Right. Um, and, um, you know, we can kind of get, get into what that means in a moment. But for regulators, what that means is you don't need to rely on intermediaries like banks to file suspicious activity reports to, to a regulator. A regulator can now, in this new crypto economy, regulate its ecosystem in real time using blockchain intelligence like TRM. And that could be potentially a real sea change in the way we think about regulation. So, um, you know, have an opportunity to engage regulators globally a lot on those topics, and then really work with our law enforcement partners to um, ensure that they're able to build the very best investigations possible using the tool. Yeah, awesome. So would it be fair to say, Ari, your um, area of expertise is kind of the intersection of compliance, regulation, money laundering, and then more recently kind of crypto blockchain and, and how um, money laundering and kind of cybercrime relates to the blockchain space. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure I could have said that any better myself. Um, so, <laughs> you can tell uh, I'm a recruiter, Ari. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've written a couple of JDs in your life. I think. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's exactly right. You know, where, where I think sort of like I'm strongest in terms of my, my area of expertise is sort of on this, you know, what, what, how should we think about national security sort of in the age of technology? And how should we think about anti-money laundering as we're building this new internet of money, right? You know, I think I, there's, there's differing views on sort of crypto and sort of its use for fraud and financial crime. You know, my view is that like, we are building a new economy, a, this new internet of money. And anti-money laundering is foundational infrastructure for it. And as we build, we have to build a trust layer. You know, right. I am not going to send my money to Mike or Jack if I think that there could be terrorist financiers on the other end of that transaction, right? Who have you been talking to, Ari? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You notice I didn't say anything. Yeah. Terrorist financiers I was covered on. You notice I didn't say anything else shady. I wasn't sure, <laughs> right? But, uh, but we, you know, and I think that in order to build, build that new crypto economy, you have to build in trust. And that's really what we're what we're doing at TRM. But yeah, no, I think you nailed it. That's very much sort of where I where I live these days in terms of what I, what I'm talking about. That's great, and and I think that's something that Jack and I have talked in length about is that that regulation is essential for legitimizing the industry as a whole and helping in particular, like institutional investors get more and more comfortable in the space. Um, so I think there is a bit of kind of backlash or or pushback rather within the crypto community, especially for the kind of diehard decentralized folks that um, any regulation is bad. But yeah, we're, we're passionate about the fact that that's something that will legitimize the, like you say, this new industry, this new economy. No, I think that's exactly right. It was crazy. Like last week, I, um, or maybe two weeks ago, I did a video for a TRM talks that we had coming up on the travel rule. And I did a video with one of my I have two little boys and I did one where I took a football and I explained that the ball was sort of the, 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 the Bitcoin, but it was also the KYC that had to transfer with that Bitcoin under the travel rule, kind of trying to like simplify things and have a little bit of a good time. So I put it on LinkedIn, the video, and it was very, very, people loved it. It was got a lot of great feedback. And then I put it on Twitter. <laughs> Not a lot of good feedback. There. there were a lot of emojis vomiting. <laughs> 
And you was know, it not a good pass with the football? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was a perfect pass. It took like twenty takes, but it was a perfect pass. Yeah. I, uh, but 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 you know, it is. There is a there is definitely sort of part of this crypto ecosystem of folks that are, I think, very reticent and very skeptical, to say the least, of sort of regulation. Um, and I and I am actually someone who believes that there is a role for privacy very, very much. And privacy is actually critical as we build within crypto. But I also believe that we have to have that trust in the system that you kind of just described, that we have to, that you have to believe when you put your money in an institution, that it's going to be there when you need it. Um, and I think that's, you know, um, and I think we're starting to see more and more exchanges like Coinbase and others who are providing, for lack of a better description, FDIC style insurance uh, you know, we're starting to see sort of more of that building, but it's, um, but it's coming. And um, yeah, I mean, just, just to kind of follow up on the privacy piece, I mean, you know, the more, um, the more open, the more uh, financial transactions that occur on an open ledger, I think the more people are going to want to have some privacy baked in there too, right? right? Just the nature of, you know, the nature of transactions. And I think what we're going to start to see is we're going to start to see, you know, people use, um, certain coins that have more privacy-enhanced features for certain transactions. And maybe there are others that you want to have that certain level of transparency. And I think we're sort of going to see that develop. But um, you know, at TRM, um, I think we're sort of very privacy-focused. And um, there's this perception, certainly, that blockchain analytics is somehow you know links Jack to his crypto address. Um, and that's not at all. That's not at all the case. What we do is we link entities like. Coinbase or Binance or FTX um, events like the Bitfinex hack um, or um, or illicit activity like terrorist financing or child exploitation. We do not say, hey, this is Mike's alphanumeric crypto address. Um, and I think there's sort of a misperception about sort of what uh, what real what privacy really looks like uh, in terms of these tools. Yeah, I think just on the, the Bitfinex hack, I mean, if you don't mind, we might ask you to delve a bit more into that and explain kind of what exactly happened and a bit more of the ins and outs of that. But yeah. when I was, when I was learning about it, it was fascinating to me because I'd never considered really that the fact that the ledger is open and public, it essentially allowed the public to track where those laundered coins were going at any, any moment, any given moment, because yeah. everyone knew the wallets they'd gone to when they moved, they could see them. The, the, um, the platforms could actually stop those specific coins coming onto them so it was such a like mike like well like you both you guys alluded to the whole the allure of crypto for a lot of people is the the privacy and it's you know can't be traced but actually it's actually more traceable than any other currency in history in a way isn't it absolutely and yeah let's so we'll i'll get to bifinex uh case for sure and sort of lay that out but like just kind of backing up a little bit because you're absolutely right um, and, um, you know, look, the same qualities that make crypto such a force for good, right? It's permissionless. It's decentralized. You, you have cross-border value transfer at the speed of the internet. Um, and this is what's going to be, be bringing banking to, you know, unbanked corners of the world and remittances at the speed of the internet. Um, but you also have illicit actors who want to move a lot of money at the speed of the internet across borders, Right. Um, but I think that the the answer is exactly what you just described, Jack, and that is um, we've never had more visibility on financial flows than we do in crypto. 
um, you know, had, we'll get into the Bifinex case in a moment, but had that case, that hack, um, you know, happened at a traditional financial institution or other sort of entity, um, you would have been, you would have seen money flowing through networks of hawalas and bulk cash smuggling and shell companies and wire transfers and prepaid debit cards and all kinds of stuff that's impossible to track. Um, but with crypto, what you really saw was you saw a hack in 2016, okay, of about $70 million worth of Bitcoin at the time. And you then saw um, individuals launder those funds across the blockchain and across the years um, uh, to, to, to they fi it finally was seized um, last week or the week before um, in what is now the largest, well, in the largest seizure in US history, probably ever of any amount of money anywhere. But uh, uh, that $70 million in Bitcoin was worth you know, uh, about $4.2 billion today. And um, it, was just an absolute, it was just an absolutely extraordinary case. Um, and there were a couple of things that were particularly just amazing about it. One was the seizure, right? I mean, whenever you start talking about the largest seizure in U.S. history, um, you just have to like repeat it because it's so insane um, and it's such a large amount of money. And, and is, uh, Ari, is that the yeah. largest seizure of money or, or of anything? Like if you said like the largest seizure of drugs, oh, but the yeah. street value I, or you know, mean, whatever I, it is. I, I, you know, look, I, you know. I'm, I'm happy to go on with you guys today saying it was the largest seizure of anything in U.S. history because it was so much. I, I would love to hear anyone who corrects that. Um, a seizure but, uh, of like $4 billion of heroin. When I was at the Department of Justice at the U.S. Attorney's Office, we seized an oil tanker. I don't think that thing was worth $4.2 billion. I just yeah. don't. So, like, you do, know. You think, um, Ari, do, you, do you think the, the heisters sort of bemoaned how much it went up in value because of the <laughs> when they heisted it they probably thought right we got a cool few million here and yep. then they just watched it go up and up and up and it must have been a strange sort of experience for them i think it was and i think you know a couple of things you know we talked we talked a little bit about why uh crypto is not great for money laundering because of the nature of the open ledger and you can track and trace it but you know a corollary to that is that it's really hard to off-ramp lots large amounts of money and, you know, Jack, you talked about sort of the way the crypto community, you know, super sleuths, you know, with a block explorer, you know, folks at TRM, um, you know, an analytics company are able to, like the world was watching these funds. Um, and it was true when poly, the Poly Network, the DeFi protocol was hacked over the summer, you saw a bunch of people on Twitter, you know, like following funds and putting alerts on, we do it at TRM. You know, we watch, you know, just whoever has access to a block explorer, which is a lot of folks these days, sort of follow the flow of funds. And you saw that here. Um, um, sorry, Ari, sorry to interrupt. Yeah, yeah, yeah please so, go so ahead. Can you kind of explain what a block explorer is? Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, um, so I think I kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, essentially what we do at TRM is we take that raw blockchain data, the addresses, and we put... Um, and we layer it with threat intelligence. So we associate that alphanumeric address with terrorist financing, with money laundering, with a hack, okay, hacked or stolen funds. A block explorer does, does not layer the raw blockchain data with any threat intelligence. 
it's just simply the raw blockchain data and you are able to navigate you're able to navigate the blockchain because it's an open ledger um with sort of one of these you know open source type of um type of programs um so if you know a certain wallet was involved in the hack for example so there was this huge hack 70 million dollars and we know a certain wallet was responsible for receiving that bitcoin that you can then track every single transaction of where that the wallet moves it to and kind of that whole spiral effect of seeing kind of where it goes in, into different that, coins that's exactly right that's exactly right and um so yeah you see the world doing you see the world watching and i think um you know as jack alluded it is very hard to move funds with the world watching Right. And I think what these, um, you know, individuals, the who, you know, defendants in the Bethanex case realized very quickly is that like, it's one thing to steal a lot of money in crypto. It's another thing to be able to use the funds. Mm. And they had a very, very difficult time off ramping those funds into fiat. It seems like they were able to off ramp enough to live very nicely, but, mm. you know, they were not necessarily able to off ramp enough that and really it was significant amount of money. And correct me if I'm wrong, Ari, but reading about some of the ways they did off-ramp it, it was it was kind of something out of a film. It was sort of like they would have to go onto the, the dark web, dark net, onto an exchange there where they could you could like give someone a hundred Bitcoin, and then they send you effectively a treasure map where they've dug a hole and stashed some cash in it, and you GPS follow to the hole and dig it up. Like it's insane what they the lengths they had to go to to. To, yeah, it, it, as you say, it, to like to crystallize, uh, to uncrystallize the money. It is. It, it was crazy. Um, but I will say one thing that's kind of like what one thing that I think is important to acknowledge is that like, you know, they were very sophisticated money launderers. Um, and this notion that like you see their social media personas, particularly Miss um, Morgan, and you're like, you know, these people are crazy. Um, but honestly, she, like, she had a couple of rap videos on YouTube. Rap videos and sort of. <laughs> You know, social media influencer kind of thing. But honestly, like, forget all that. You know, people want to talk about that stuff, but forget all that, right? What, what, what I think is so interesting is that they really used every obfuscation technique um, that we're seeing on the blockchain. For example, um, you know, they were moving their money or the, the, the funds through a series of mixing services. So a mixing service is basically um, you have a um, exchange for, uh, on the blockchain that you put certain, you put Bitcoin in, it mixes it up with other Bitcoin and spits it out clean the other side. That is not a crime. There's all kinds of reasons people may want to keep their transactions private. Um, what is a crime is to conspire with a darknet administrator or darknet service to um, use a mixer for money laundering. So for example, um, you know, this is slightly off the Bitfinex case, we'll get back on there in a moment, but um, the, the Department of Justice indicted two administrators of um, mixing services that were advertising on the dark net. One was called Helix, in which um, DOJ charged the administrator for uh, money laundering conspiracy for essentially conspiring with Alpha Bay, uh, which was a dark net market at the time, in order to advertise their mixing services in order to obfuscate the flow of dr illicit drug proceeds. Um, another one which is currently pending is called Bitcoin Fog, where the administrator was indicted and arrested going through the um, LAX uh, an airport in Los Angeles uh, for ex essentially exactly the same thing. And um, so what's, what's interesting to me is that um, what DOJ, US law enforcement has decided is that there's certain 
mixing services that are entirely uh, created to obfuscate the flow of funds from law enforcement, that is a crime. Uh, but sort of a typical on, on mixer on, on chain is not. So sort of getting back to Bitfinex, right. I mean, they use mixers, but they used everything else. Um, they use peeling chains, which are essentially, it's on-chain structuring. So you're sending a large amount of money, but you don't want to send it in one transaction. So you peel off smaller amounts to other wallets along the way right. in order to obfuscate the flow of that larger transaction. They use automated, they did automated transactions, uh, which we call sort of programmatic money laundering. They basically set up algorithms in order to move funds um, you know, in, in, in quick su succession. Um, they use, as, as you mentioned, Mike, they use darknet markets. Um, or maybe it was Jack, they used darknet markets to, um, to launder funds. And there were a whole bunch of other ones in there too. Um, but these are sophisticated money launderers. Um, mm -hmm. I will say that the tools, um, you know, 2016 predates TRM. Um, you know, the tools were very different, a lot less sophisticated then than sure. they are now. And I think, you know, part of what potentially, you know, uh, allowed investigators was sort of like having sort of improved tools, better technology today than they did, um, you know, back in 2016. And maybe the the money laundering didn't keep up with the tools because there's this constant, what I call whack-a-mole, right? Or, or this cat and mouse game where right. you're constantly trying to keep up with one another. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, it's, it's a really extraordinary case um, for the, the amount of the seizure and then, um, really the extraordinary investigation that, I, that we just kind of, you know, talked through. How did they get rumbled in the end then? Because I couldn't quite find, I know it happened very recently. And so they, for years, are essentially sort of sitting on it slash getting away with it a bit. So what was the, did they make one key blunder or did, as you say, the technology to catch them kind of catch no, so, up? Yeah, so what you're never, so it's a great question. And um, I'm not sure I have the perfect answer for you, but I'll, I'll get close enough. And that is, um, you know, blockchain analytics never identifies who the individual is that that owns that wallet you know mm -hmm. blockchain analytics follows the flow of funds we're a tracing tool we're a software company right people ask in the context all the time of colonial pipeline right um that was a it was a watershed moment when colonial pipeline was attacked by you know dark side ransomware variant it basically shut down critical infrastructure in the united states um, there are gas lines, you know, where I live in, in DC, a couple blocks away, um, you know, but ultimately law enforcement was able to track and trace the flow of the ransom payment in that case to a wallet address, which the FBI was ultimately able to seize. We trace the track and track the flow of funds. We do not seize them. Right. And that's obviously entirely different technology that law enforcement has access to that I, um, you know, can speculate about, but really, you know. No, you know, there's all kinds of different possibilities. Similarly, in this case, the only the way typically a case like this gets solved is that you're able to trace the flow of funds to a cryptocurrency exchange. And once they're at an exchange, that's when law enforcement can use the tools that they have always used, subpoenas, search warrants, other sort of legal process in order to get information on the account holders. So when you open up a Coinbase account, you're providing what we call KYC, know your customer information, right? You know, every time you open an account anywhere, you know, they do a screenshot of you and you, or, a, you know, and you um, provide a driver's license and, and information. Um, that's usually how law enforcement is able to associate um, an individual with one of those alphanumeric addresses. And here, 
um, I think there were sort of some similarities where they were able to um, figure out sort of who that address belonged to. And that's when, when you were talking earlier about it's the off-ramping of the mm -hmm. crypto that's the complicated bit. What we're essentially saying there is that they could, with anonymity, they could transfer crypto as many times as they wanted to as many different wallets as they wanted without anybody being able to know their identity. You could still, law enforcement could still follow that trace of the funds, but without any clues to their actual identity. But that what it actually takes is those funds being moved onto an exchange or an institution that has KYC to then be able to link those movements to somebody's identity. And that, that's what happened here is that, that they moved, they tried to move it onto an exchange five and a half, six years later. Um, and that that's when they were ultimately identified. Right. Or, or yeah, that's typically what happens. And, um, you know, those transactions are not even, you know, that are, that are moving on chain are not necessarily anonymous. Um, because you maybe they were always associated with hacked or stolen funds, um, and that I think that's that's critical because tools like TRM do identify those addresses with that type of activity. I will say so that that's one way this could have happened. Another way it could have happened is law enforcement could have had other information to take uh, to associate that address with an individual. Say, for example, you know, was there something on social media that had a specific address on it? Was there something, you know? On in a darknet market, you know that was able that you were able to link an actual individual persona with that address. But tools like TRM, other analytic solutions, do not do that linking within the tool with the customer. Right. Um, and it's interesting that you say uh, you, you talked about how sophisticated um, their observation was because yep. I've I've spoken to various security engineering friends who or, or to take a step back. I've seen a yep. lot of the media coverage be pretty brutal about how these guys were kind of clowns doing rap videos. Um, but from the security engineers that I've spoken to, they it was incredibly sophisticated. And there was like, like you, some of the things you've mentioned, but then they were also moving in between different cryptocurrencies, including some of the more privacy focused coins like Monero. Um, yep. And that these were highly intelligent people or, or at least... Um, they knew what they were doing when it came to crypto money laundering. And one of the questions posed by a friend of mine who's a security engineer was whether there was a team of crypto experts or blockchain experts helping them because these guys were not, I know they were, they were, one of them was a, a, a YC founder, a Y Combinator alumni yeah. founder. The other was a um, tech journalist slash aspiring rapper but do you think that what, what they did was something that um you know could, could they have done that on their own or would they have needed a, a team of people helping them with that yeah I, i'm gonna look i i don't know um i don't know it's a great it's a great question i'm gonna go with they were alone i mean i i i, I think that sort of like as, as you know with any sort of crime the more you build out the team that's involved the more vulnerability there is and um you know, I've been getting asked, you know, so they weren't charged with the actual hacking. So is that they, so did someone hack, you know, Bitfinex and then give these guys the proceeds to launder? And, you know, uh, there are all kinds of reasons prosecutors don't bring certain charges that have nothing to do with whether or not someone committed the crime. Right. And I, you know, sometimes you just have to say to yourself, like, you know, I used to tell juries when, um, when I'd be, you know, in front of them arguing a case, you know, don't, you don't leave your common sense at the courtroom door. 
you know, you bring your common sense, you bring your experience in with you. I think this is that. Like, let's use our common sense here for a minute. Do we really think that there was a mysterious hacker who hacked Bitfinex, stole $70 million in Bitcoin, and then handed it to these guys in order to launder the funds for the next five years? Yeah. I don't know. Or, and this the other big scenario- fan of the like, music. Big fan yeah, of the music. Yeah, yeah. yeah you love the music. You got to support <laughs> these guys. And then the other thing to your question is the same thing. Like, were there real, what, is there a team of cyber- uh, you know, of, you know, crypto money launderers out there that was working for these guys to launder the funds. I mean, I, I think I, I struggle with that as well. That said, I mean, this case sort of speaks to the fact that almost anything is possible. But uh, I, 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 if, if I had to sit here and guess today, which I know I'm not supposed to do, I would say that these, these were probably uh, the ones who were involved in this entire, uh, in this entire operation. Well, if so, that's crazy because that they clearly are highly intelligent people that probably could have landed a job at a they could have landed a job at a successful crypto startup. PRM came out of Y Combinator. It being that that is a that is the Harvard of startup accelerators. They had the world at their uh, you know at their fingertips. There's no there's no question about that. I think yeah, absolutely. A question I've got, Ari, on um, just thinking about the investigation and I appreciate you might not know the answer and it's more of a kind of theoretical one maybe, but did the value of the Bitcoin increasing put more pressure on or allow them to allocate more resources to the investigation or did did it bring the spotlight on the investigation more? And conversely, had Bitcoin gone to zero or crashed and crypto turned out to be a fad, in the years proceed following the heist, would they have said, forget it? Or does that have no impact on, does the value of the goods increasing or decreasing, is what I'm asking, impact no, how their priority? It's a good question. I think the short answer is no. Um, and that is like, you see great financial crime investigators who are going to go after bad actors, you know, wherever they are. I'm not naive to believe me. I'm not so naive to say that like the amount doesn't matter. You know, you see, someone's, you know, $50,000 in Bitcoin is stolen in, in a hack, you're very likely less, you're very unlikely to get sort of federal law enforcement working on on that case. Um, so I think the value does matter. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Um, and the fact that the price rose so significantly made it sort of this really extraordinary case with the largest seizure in US history. That said, law enforcement had been tracking and tracing those funds since 2016. Um, and I don't know that they like either increased or kind of decreased the focus on that investigation based on the price of Bitcoin. Um, I will tell it you, certainly like, would motivate you more though, right? Like yeah. that, because that's a career-making. It, like, it's, it's a great a, thing to put on your resume. Biggest seizure yeah. in U.S. history. Look, yeah. I, I think the other piece to this is so, like you know, interestingly, so Christian Chesky, who is the IRS CI agent that was uh, that signed the statement of facts, he was the lead agent on the case. He was also the lead case case agent in Welcome to Video, which was the um, largest, uh, the takedown of the largest darknet uh, child exploitation market. Um, And another really, really huge crypto case, plus a bunch of cases. uh, He was involved in um, some terrorist financing cases involving crypto. Um, This is someone who is a true expert and has really dedicated their career to following the money in cryptocurrency cases. And interesting, a lot of people have said to me sort of like, well, why is IRS CI, why is the IRS involved in this case? You get this, I've heard this too over the last couple of weeks. Um, IRS CI, IRS criminal investigations has the best financial crime investigators on earth. 
And what really happens within the federal government in crypto cases, and this is true when I was at the US Attorney's Office, you'd put together a great team. You know, you'd have FBI agents who were, you know, used to kind of working large, um, you know, large scale fraud cases. You bring in um, Homeland Security investigations, which is used to sort of global coordination and, and putting together these types of things. And then IRSCI is the very best at tracing and following the money. And, um, you know, Christian Chesky is just a great example of sort of like what happens when a great agent um, is given like great tools in a case of this size and scope, um, you know, good things happen. You know, like, I think it's important. It's always important in conversation like this because there's such a focus. The analytics are so cool, right? You're tracing the money, you're following, you know, you know, it, it's, way, it's way cooler to show yeah. you than describe it. But like to follow the flow of funds, you know, on the blockchain is a really cool thing to see in a tool like TRM. But none of this matters if you don't have great investigators, great agents, on the other side. And this is only one tracing the money in crypto is only one of like a full toolbox that these guys have in order to investigate these kinds of cases, legal process, just great police work, talking to witnesses, um, you know, talking to exchanges, um, you know, working closely with international um, counterparts. So there's so many pieces to all of this. But I think it's important to sort of not overstate the blockchain analytics piece. And to really, I mean, like the key here is these great investigators. Mm. It really and is, is a, there it's a movie just way to, to happen, isn't it? It's a movie, absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely Netflix. <laughs> all over. If, uh, <laughs> and do those do those institutions? What I find interesting is, it sounds like it's been treated as if seventy million dollars got stolen, but really, I guess assets worth that amount got stolen. So, would someone like the IRS, CI? Did they treat it as if it was currency getting stolen or do they treat it? Is it more akin to if someone stole 70 millions worth of art, say? Like, yeah, I'd say, I'd say it's you know about, what I mean? I say, yeah, I, I do. I do. Yeah, I, I'd say it's about um, I, I don't not entirely sure there's a true distinction there. I think that like, um, yes, IRSCI has this special, I think, role to play in sort of following the money. And this is money, right? This is the new right. internet money. This is this new sort of currency. So they um, do view it as money. They, so I, I would say that's right. Um, I would say you probably have other law enforcement agencies that would be most more focused if there was more of a commodity like art, um, you know, involved in this. Um, but uh, yeah, um, what you see with sort of art is its own. It's entirely own. I mean, we can do our. We can do another hour. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, um, it's just an but, example. Yeah. But no, no. It's, but it's a great one. I mean, there's you know, it, there's so much going on in that space right now. Um, you know, when I was um, when I was a prosecutor, I worked a case involving um, ICE, uh, antiqu ISIS was using antiquities in order to launder funds uh, for terrorist financing, and we um, we did a seizure warrant for some antiquities that they were they were using wow. and um even just you know a couple weeks ago the u.s treasury department put out a study on the use of high value art for money laundering and it was interesting so i just out of that kind of what i did and it wasn't crypto related so i picked it up and i started reading and i said oh my goodness um this is really the first time that the u.s treasury department talked about nfts and the way people would use nfts to launder funds um, which I was not necessarily expecting in that report. And essentially what they came out saying is, hey, look, we're not that worried about high-end art. There's too much friction. 
uh, there's, it's, it's hard to launder, um, but there's this new thing, uh, these non-fungible tokens that have a subjective value that you can move at the speed of the internet and that um, the same anonymity and have the same, some of the same qualities as cryptocurrency. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I, to me, so I, you know, a bunch of people reached out to me and said, Hey, what do you think of this report? I said, this report is incredibly significant because it's the first time that a US regulator uh, talked about NFTs and maybe the first time anyone other than FATF, which is like the sort of UN of money laundering, um, talked about NFTs for as a money laundering concern. So just really interesting stuff. Um, I know we're, we may be a little off topic, although I think we're, we're back on. We're right on topic. NFTs, crypto, tracing. <laughs> actually our last episode was on yeah. NFTs, Ari. So this is great. Oh. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it, it's, it, I think what, what we are seeing is just really cool emerging technologies that have so many awesome use cases. But one of those use cases is always going to be, you know, bad guys using it to move funds. And we have to keep things as safe as we can for, for folks like us who want to be involved in the space. I want to be able to buy my NBA top shot in peace and not have to worry about it by, by buying it from a money launderer or terrorist financier. Right. And do, do you think that this um, helps almost kind of legitimize cryptocurrency and, and blockchain technology or, or, or at least dispels some of the... Um, some of the claims that crypto is just a money laundering tool or something, you know, that that's been, that that's been thrown at crypto for, for years now, right. That, Hey, it's just terrorist financing, money laundering. Do you, do you think this is significant in helping dispel that or, or is there still some way to go? Yeah, I think it, I think it absolutely is. I, 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 I think the Bitfinex arrests was a great day for the crypto industry. Cause to me, what it showed is a couple of things. One, it was great for law enforcement because it, to me, it showed a spirit of sort of never stopping, until you got the 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 attackers and and to be clear you know i mean these people stole billions of dollars from average investors right um right. i mean this, these these guys you know and um you know in in the age of the internet a hack would mean the loss of of pii usernames and passwords right um in the age of crypto a hack means the loss of life savings potentially or the loss of you know a small business and I think that's kind of what's missed in some of this, right? Like, um, you don't want regulation. Well, you know, you got to have something to stop bad actors from, from doing this kind of stuff because no one's going to put their money in an exchange if they think it's going to be hacked and there's no recourse or you can't follow the funds. And I, you know, have this conversation with folks all the time, sort of, you know, who maybe sort of want less regulation in the space. And I want less regulation. I want just enough regulation, responsible, thoughtful regulation that doesn't stifle innovation. Um, but I do believe that there has to be some because the stakes are so high. And if this new economy is actually going to succeed, you have to have some trust baked in here. And I think that's what this whole thing is about. Right. And if you are somebody that has, you know, a significant amount of your net worth in crypto, you don't benefit at all from a huge exchange, a Coinbase or a Gemini being hacked, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars being stolen because that undermines the, um, undermines the security it undermines the trust in the space and ultimately is likely to have a negative impact on the price anyway right 100 percent. it's a disaster and you don't want it to happen and that's why we have to have the tools in place i will say that like you know um we've seen a proliferation of hacks and cyber attacks you know over the course of the last couple of years everything from sort of north korea nation state actors 
um, you know, Lazarus Group and others who are attacking cryptocurrency exchanges and cryptocurrency businesses in order to basically fund the regime and destabilizing activity. You're seeing hacks like Bifinex, you know, or, or the Poly Network hack. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think that first and foremost, it's a cyber issue, not a crypto issue, right? The key is to stop those attacks from happening in the first place. So people are like, well, what should we do about it? I'm like, well, first you got to harden your cyber defenses, right? Like the key here is stopping bad actors from getting into your, to getting into the exchange to begin with. And that means hardening cyber defenses, building out those kinds of cap cyber capabilities. Um, and then hopefully if you do get hacked, you do have tools in place like TRM that can follow the flow of funds and hopefully give law enforcement at least a shot to, uh, to recover them. But, uh, you know, the, the, the hack issue, if you will, is more of a cybersecurity issue uh, than a crypto issue. And um, we got to stay focused there. And I think people have been doing a good job of it. I mean, look, the crypto industry, as you guys know, is a nascent industry. I mean, we are pre-first inning, really. Like, right. you know, we're all so deep in this thing that we feels like we've been at it for a long time, but it is early, early days. And cryptocurrency businesses will, be, will get there. But right now, sort of compared to 200-year-old financial institutions or large retailers or you know other types of companies they don't necessarily have the expertise and the cyber defense is built out yet and that's coming um that's why we've seen DeFi is very vulnerable right now when you see things like the poly attack because you know these are again the youngest businesses that are just sort of building out their their cyber defenses well and some of them are 10 20 person companies with 100%. billions of dollars of assets on the balance sheet yeah. um which in itself is uh, is incredibly desirable for cybercrime. And like you said, I mean, I see this within Code Red Partners. We, we obviously work with different companies um, in the security space or, or different companies, sorry, on their security challenges. And these hacks happen every day. Sometimes they're higher profile than others, but it happens every day in traditional industries as well. Um, I, I have a, a, a bit of a random question here, Ari, and you don't have to kind of give us the step-by-step walkthrough as I appreciate it. <laughs> it could be yeah. problematic. But um, could... Could these guys have got away with it? Like Jack asked the question earlier, like, did they just make one mistake? Did they get a bit too cocky or did they, was the one slip up? Do you think that the, what the is a way that somebody could have gotten away with off ramping that much money or, you know, if not all of it, say half a billion, a billion dollars. And these guys just didn't have that kind of final bit of knowledge or experience to do it. Like, is it possible or do, do, do you think it, it, it just couldn't be done? It's hard. It's hard to offer up this amount of money or even that much amount of money you're kind of describing. I mean, I think what you saw was, and, and I don't know that there was a huge slip up here, um, you know, uh, but what you saw is them trying to offer up small amount of funds along the way. I mean, you saw like $5 Apple gift cards or um, Amazon gift cards or something involved in this, right? Like they're trying to get smaller amounts of money and it's just really hard um, to do. So could you get away with it? You know, certainly. But it, I'm not, it, it's hard to say what get away with it sort of looks like. You know, let me just give you an example. And I know this may be a little off, off the Bifinex case, but um, different hackers and different attackers take a different um, sort of take a different tack depending on what your outcome is. Ultimately, you had these two people living in New York City, okay? They were very vulnerable to arrest. And that was really the worst case scenario for them. So what they needed to do is they needed to sort of spend as long as they had to just off-wrapping smaller amounts, continuing mm -hmm. to obfuscate the funds, to launder money, and just peel off a smaller amount along the way. 
because to them, the the chance of getting arrested was very, very real. Right. You saw Whereas that if they, they'd gone to somewhere, if they peeled some of that money off and then headed to somewhere with no extradition treaty. So if you look at the the pleadings, it talks about how they were prepared to go to to the Ukraine and Russia essentially in order to evade um, law enforcement. Probably and would you, have ended up in hot water there. No, yeah, not, not a good time today to, that's not, yeah. not a great time to travel not a good there time but, to visit, yeah. yeah so uh <laughs> probably cheap yeah, no, flights <laughs> but it was interesting there there was some there was some some there, there they go into um the, there was a uh, detention hearing last week in federal court in dc and the prosecutor sort of laid out why they were a flight risk essentially and they laid out the fact that there was tons of cash there was uh you know up to 300 million dollars outstanding that they had access to that wow. they um, you know, all, all kinds of kind of interesting facts as to why they should be detained. Ultimately, uh, he was detained uh, and the, the female defendant, Ms. Morgan, was not detained uh, pending uh, pending trial. Uh, we can get into that in a moment if you want. But um, She had a show. She had a show. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't show, they didn't want to let fans yeah. <laughs> um, so, but, but to your question, that was their modus operandi, right? They were worried about getting arrested. You have Lazarus Group, on the other hand, which is a professional... Uh, hacking group out of North Korea, state-sponsored. They've engaged in some of like the largest, most high-profile high uh, hacks, including on Sony, um, on large financial institutions, and they've been particularly targeting crypto businesses over the last couple of years. Because what they want to do is they want to steal that money from that cryptocurrency businesses and get it to a usable currency as quickly as possible. Because look, as much as we all love crypto, uh, the rea- and, and think that we can use it to buy stuff. The reality is that today, you still can't buy a lot of things with cryptocurrency, so you need to off-ramp it. Right. Uh, there's a future state where we do transact more on the blockchain, you know, where Amazon accepts it and, and Walmart and this sort of thing. But you know, for right now- um, There's only so many Teslas you can launder. There's only so many Teslas you could buy, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and you know, now I'm scared of luxury cars after I saw that crash off of like that boat go under or something like yeah. <laughs> off the coast of where, yeah, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of loss. Um, so, so what North Korea does is they worry less about laundering funds. They do it. They use mixers. They use some other sort of obfuscation techniques. But what they're trying to do is Get that money to an off-ramp as soon as they can. And you know something? If they lose here and there, that's just the cost of doing business. Because to them, they need to off-ramp those funds in order to fund weapons proliferation and other types of destabilizing activity. So it's just there's different tactics that different people are using depending on what your interest is. These guys needed to launder funds over long periods of time because um, they were very vulnerable. And that's just kind of like, you know, a third piece of this puzzle, right? Like you have the incredible seizure, you know, in terms of the, the 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 money, you have a really extraordinary investigation through every imaginable obfuscation technique across years in the blockchain, and then really the third one is the fact that these guys got arrested. It is you can't overstate how crazy that is. Like, right. you know, I, I did these cases for years at the U.S. Attorney's Office. You know, you know, Iranian export control, Russian cyber criminals, North Korea, you know, uh, you know, hackers. No one ever gets arrested because mm-hmm. they're outside of our jurisdiction and, and, and they are outside of like, um, you know, as you mentioned, extradition treaties and, and mutual legal assistance treaties. These guys were in New York City. Right. That is, it is. And, and their backgrounds yeah. as well, right? That these yeah. were, like you say, yeah. YC alumni, the top kind of 0.1% of founders. It's so yeah. competitive to get into that. I think, she, I think the, uh, I think Morgan was a, 
Forbes journalist or, you know, certainly like a respected professional. It's like you couldn't make it up. It's just such a fascinating thing. And as you say, that must be so um, almost like satisfying for law enforcement to actually be able to like put the handcuffs on versus just Mm -hmm. identify the group. But it's this unknown entity, faceless. Look, it's it's not I, I don't think it's fair to say it's like it's demoralizing to spend years building a case. And never no, actually, no, no one, one ever ever get, one. But it's right. really pretty extraordinary when it happens. And I will also say, like, I, I can't tell you today what the outcome of this case is going to be. I think there's a high likelihood that, um, you know, there's a plea of some kind because, you know, the risk of going to trial is so high. You, you know, you use an example like Helix I mentioned earlier. Um, the administrator pled guilty to money laundering conspiracy because his federal sentencing guidelines, there are guidelines that most federal judges adhere to, um, and his guidelines were essentially life because of the amount of money involved right. in his money laundering. These guys has have magnitudes more involved in their money laundering. They need but to get them it, just working for they, the IRS, right. I see. Like, they, uh, like, catch me if you can. Like absolutely, that. I love it. I love it. So <laughs> I, I see a world where at a minimum, they've got to cooperate. They've got to show law enforcement, how did you do this? what were the cyber defenses that you took advantage of, you know, really kind of walk law enforcement through kind of how this goes. And if you do that, uh, and you provide what they call substantial assistance to the government, you can get what they call a downward departure from the sentencing guidelines, which can bring their sentence down significantly. And that's usually what you see in a case like this. And I guess over time, or not even over time, I guess in very immediately, if that happens, it only serves to bolster any future law enforcement attempt to or investigation, because they've now got all this further knowledge of, okay, well, how did you do this? How, what was the plan here? Where did you learn this? Like, it just adds to their arsenal to catch whoever the next. And and that's really well said. People, when I've said this before, over the last couple of weeks, people have said things like, well, who are they going to cooperate against? Right. And that's not actually the right question. And you nailed it with you, with the way you just described it. There's all kinds of, if you can provide techniques, experiences, sort of how you did things that can actually help law enforcement on their next investigation, then that sometimes can be equally, if not more valuable, potentially. Right. And what happens, Ari, to the $4.2 billion that was seized? Like, where does, does gonna the IRS, do they just have returns? You haven't tried to get that? <laughs> but like do, do they just keep that now no so um they don't you know, look, I, yeah so i'm not entirely sure what's going to happen to all the money but i will say that like i think there's a high likelihood that a lot of the folks that lost their funds you know in 2016 there'll be some um compensation for that bitfinex obviously has some significant costs associated with this right. which they're a victim here so you know it, it's no different really crypto is no different than any other sort of asset seizure um, where you want to make sure you're compensating victims. And you also want to make sure that law enforcement has the tools that they need um, to continue to build these investigations. So I'm hopeful that some of these funds will go to the victims. Some of these funds hopefully will go to law enforcement to kind of build out these capabilities. Um, but uh, yeah, for now, I think I read somewhere, which I thought was totally wild, that like the US is like the, now, because of this case, the largest right. S- nation nation holder of of bitcoin like far surpassing el salvador which, you know, like, yeah that's weird yeah. isn't it like do you yeah. give law enforcement a bitcoin wallet and say this is the official <laughs> nypd wallet you like, know I, honestly jack you laugh but like you know 
again, like this is early days for everybody, <laughs> you know, like we are yeah, just yeah. figuring out how do we, if you're a law enforcement entity, how do you custody digital assets? You know, the U S marshals is like responsible for that essentially. But I can tell you from experience for years, really solid agents were just doing that because they had no idea what to do with the money they were seizing. So they opened up a Coinbase account and put it in sure, there, yeah. <laughs> you know, like but this, is, this is so early days. Like it is crazy. Um, but I, I don't know, you know, I kind of go back to the beginning. So I'm talking about like getting to do what you do. It's like, that's why this is so fun because like we are building something. Um, you guys are builders. Like you get it. It's like, you're building something new and sometimes like not all the questions have answers, you know, um, but it's sort of just trying to figure it out. And you see that this, this case is a good example of that here. Um, well, Ari, this has been absolutely fascinating and, and thank you again, um, for your time and, and kind of sharing your wisdom with us. I, I have one last kind of open-ended question for you, which is what do you think are the long-term implications of this investigation successful seizure like what do you think you mentioned that this is like really significant what is that significance and what do you think the long-term implications are yeah no it's a good it's a great question I, i'd say if this happened six months or a year ago i think we would have seen maybe regulators and, and even congress and react and say hey we either have to put certain you know regulations in place i think today as we sit here right now they're already thinking about sort of how to regulate in the crypto space. They've already sort of thought through a lot of these issues. Um, so I don't think you're necessarily going to see that. I don't think it's going to dramatically impact uh, regulation. I do think it says to policymakers, though, look, this is the kind of result that can happen only because this was crypto that was ultimately right. stolen. And I, I do think it's a moment to really say, hey, you know, the crypto industry should say, hey, look, this is why we can build a safer financial system. You know, at TRM, we like, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, our mission is to build a safer financial system for billions of people. And it's real. And it's really, we're able to do it together. It's just, uh, and it's because of the nature of the open ledger. So I, I think that like, we have to continue to message that, but I do think more and more people are starting to understand that. Um, and I think it's really going to be critical as we grow. I think if anything else, I'm hopeful that like this, also kind of was a little bit of a wake up call or sort of a re wake up call for cryptocurrency businesses to, again, to your point, build out those cyber defenses, get that expertise. Um, because at the end of the day, look, crypto is just the, 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 the thing that's used to transfer value here. It's just the currency. Um, it is not the thing that is being hacked. Right. Uh, it's cyber the cyber crime itself. That's the problem. The cyber crime what's itself. Being stolen. And we have yeah. to continue to fight that. And we have to continue to go after bad actors who are engaging that way. But we also have to harden our cyber defenses. And a cheeky plug for Code Red Partners. Is Love a it. Great, great partner if you are building a cybersecurity <laughs> team. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, Ari, this has been brilliant. Thank, thank you yeah. so much um, again. Love it, guys. Yeah. Really, really fun. Thanks for having me. This was uh, awesome. Looking forward to coming back. And uh, I don't know, what other cool topics can we talk about? I, you, already we'll NFT. you already did <laughs> yeah. NFTs. Oh, NFTs, privacy coins. We're yeah. really interested in learning love more it. about. Um, but yeah, thank you again. Hey, thank Thanks you so guys. much, Ari. Thank you. Awesome. Great to meet you. Wow, what yeah. an interview! What an interview! Yeah. Oh, do you want to go now? Oh, I thought, we'd we... I thought we'd start. <laughs> oh, so... <laughs> I think half of this pod. <laughs> I mean, that was quick. Jokes, not realizing that we're actually recording. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. We, do you want to? Do you want to take two? Do you want to put your makeup on and go again? Just go. Yeah, go on. Do it. Okay. Say what you just said. Um, thanks, Ari. 
again yeah <laughs> bye <laughs> see you like cheers okay. but yeah dude that was great like what a great interview he's really so cool like I, I i said to you before i think that he's really articulate really concise and just explains these really complex things in just just a really comprehensible way but also you can tell how passionate he is about it do you know what i mean mm, yeah like, just has that energy. he seemed very thankful didn't he to that to be in the career and position that he's in doesn't it? he seem to be loving it basically which well, is which is really infectious and good isn't it when you meet someone like that right and but for him like his role now with trm must be so interesting because he's worked as an investigator um for department of justice for the treasury department trying to kind of follow money laundering you know in terrorism cases and child exploitation cases and trying to kind of follow this web of money through the traditional banking system and now he works at a company that give him a tool where he can see in real time like literally see on a little like map where it's moving in each individual transaction like it must just be yeah. yeah it must be so interesting for him and you can tell you can tell how, how much he loves it yeah yeah what i would have liked to got more out of him maybe was and he seemed very bullish on crypto didn't he but we didn't actually ask him you know we don't know what crypto he owns we didn't ask him that side of it did we like how, crypto generally what he I'd like to know what he thinks of it like, in terms of the long term. Allocation. It would be funny yeah, if he was, yeah, like, well, maybe. he was just like, no, I don't own any crypto. It was like, I'm not crazy. I wouldn't <laughs> buy, buy any shit. <laughs> we should get him back on. I think that, um, yeah, hey, there'll Luke. be other areas that he, he, he'd he be able to speak to. Um, but also, dude, just how fascinating is that hack that a couple, like we touched on it a bit in the interview, but do you know what the Y Combinator is? No, I don't actually. I kind of nodded long because I felt stupid. I didn't want to ask. But what is it? <laughs> so it's a like an an accelerator or an incubator for startups. But he, and he described it perfectly. It's like the Harvard for startups. It's kind of the best right. accelerator in the world. Um, right. And what you do, you apply to join. They get something like ten thousand applications a year. They take, I think, eighty startups a year. They invest about $150,000, $200,000 in them and take a percentage, maybe like 12%, 15% of the company. And then you are part of the Y Combinator. You go and do a three-month course. It used to be in person. I think it's all remote now. But they get guest speakers in, like Mark Zuckerberg has been a speaker. Um, Jack Dorsey, I think, has been a speaker. So they get these experts in to come and like coach these young tech entrepreneurs um, but it is like the best of the best of the best. It's so hard to get into, so competitive. You get people applying from all over the world. And what the guy that was one of the people that's been arrested in this hack was a previous Y Combinator founder. Right. So what was his business before that? I don't know. I don't know. We should try and find it out. But it'd be funny if it was something crypto, like some kind of crypto security yeah. product. <laughs> what was interesting, because I know people are ripping those two, aren't they? Like, how have we been scammed by these two because of her cringy rap videos and stuff? Right. But looking more into her, she'd actually given, she has held some crazy high high level job before that. Uh -huh. And she'd given, she gave quite a, it wasn't a TED talk, but it was like a similar vibe type business chat, business seminar thing on social engineering and basically how to be a scam artist. And she what? showed loads of ways that she had, she'd like infiltrated these high profile events by just pretending to be someone else or, so she's that kind of scammy type. Like you mentioned, catch me if you can in the interview, didn't you? Like she's right. like that guy. 
it seemed like. And she was giving tips in the thing of how to like how to like stand near a waiting list and overhear the bodyguards talking about who's on the list, then say you're on that list, like weird stuff like that. So she's clearly like far more That's intelligent than those rap videos make out. But also yeah. probably some kind of mental health like some kind of narcissism or something because you're almost like asking to be caught like can you imagine dude you've stolen 70 million dollars of bitcoin it's gone up to four billion dollars and you're slowly trying to find these little ways to pull it out in like five dollar amazon gift cards or the example you've got you're going to dig it up in a treasure map but then you're one making rap videos about how much of a baller you are like that's what her rap is it's like showing off her wealth and then you're also going and giving public talks about being a con artist. <laughs> like, yeah, I think the co- I think the talks it. were before the heist, to be fair. But yeah, you're right. Like, oh, and just, oh like, I see, I see. And like Ari said, like he's stupid. They were stupid enough to stay in New York, really, which yeah. was stupid. But, but they reading were, that but again, was, they did sophisticated. Like the lengths they went to was pretty yeah. sophisticated. There's elements of amazing sophistication, intelligence, and ama- and elements of stupidity and naivety, right. aren't there? It's like a, a balance. But I did read as well. They were planning to leave, but COVID got in the way of it. So wow. they were when lockdown happened. They had flights booked to to somewhere. And people only want to talk about the downsides of COVID. They only want to talk, harp on the 5 million deaths. <laughs> Every cloud. Um, um, that's the second anyway, story, though, yeah. that I think is a Netflix movie or documentary waiting I to happen. So. Do you remember the I first so. one was that exchange we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, where the guy had like gone on a plane to India and faked his oh, own yeah. death? Or allegedly that was a great faked story. his own death. Um, this is another one that just like needs to be a movie at some point. 100%. I'm sure it will be, just from, like you said, how colourful the characters they are. Right. Well, even when he was talking about the lead um, investigator on the case had, was like one of the most renowned investigators in the IRS yeah, that so shut good. down the largest child exploitation ring. And Yeah, I picture just, him being like a classic troubled guy, like in a John Grisham right. novel, like, like divorcee, just smokes yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah. Drinks a lot but like <laughs> drinking always the playing, by, playing by his own rules, but gets the job done. But he gets it done, yeah. <laughs> We're trying to interview yeah. him. He Got gave the us the name. Tape. Is that Curtis yeah, or yeah. something? Christian. Hit him up on LinkedIn. Link, LinkedIn. Him. Uh, um, brilliant. Well, let's uh, let's move on to the final segment, Mikey boy. Portfolio okay. Wars. Uh, we said we wanted to juxtapose the downer nature of the news. So I'm assuming we got some good news here. In brilliant. Wars, this this is every nobody's favorite segment. But I'm actually what I'll do this week if we because we're recording the video this week, uh, listeners. So if you're on Spotify uh, or Apple and you decide you want to check us out, um, YouTube. I believe we're putting this on. Is that right, Jack? I think so. I think so, Mikey boy. We haven't set the account up yet. So probably something cryptoversity-esque, right? Just go, let's try and find it. It'll be misspelled. It yeah. will be misspelled. <laughs> yeah. uh, but good luck finding it. And if you do, you'll see our, um, our trade tracker. So yeah. Jack, you've made one trade since our last episode. Um, a very exciting, some would say, you know, groundbreaking almost $27 trade into the big bucks now uh, into Bitcoin. Do you want to to talk us through your logic? Yeah, I'll talk us through because the rule was, if you remember, we have to add a new coin into our portfolio each month. Um, And to be honest, I'd been this month because of the, and again, it goes into the psychology of it all because the markets were so down this month. 
my enthusiasm for learning about new coins and altcoins and new projects really dipped. Uh, so I thought, right, what's a coin that's not in my portfolio that I can get that I know about already? And of course, the only answer was Bitcoin. So I bought 20, nearly $27. I converted my US dollar coin, $27 of that into Bitcoin. Um, and what, why did so you choose? Is, it's quite a specific amount. You had 109 US dollars. Well, I think again, again, laziness. Okay. again, laziness on my part. I think it was 25 pounds. I was in Poundland still on my face. So, or tw- it might have been twenty pounds. I can't even can't remember that. Pathetic. But um, dropping some investment gems. Here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. <laughs> Brilliant. So happy happy yeah. with that decision. Should we have a look at how has that trade performed? Yeah, just the one trade. So it was again. It was earlier this morning. So okay. really didn't want to make a trade. Is the is the, the theory of this? But I think it's up zero point five percent. So I think it's my best performing investment so far. Whopping, um, what is that? A whopping sixteen cents, I believe. Sixteen cents, just under sixteen, fourteen cents, which is you know, in the grand scheme of things, of how portfolio wars is going, that's a big win. That's actually made fourteen cents a day. (laughs) That's actually your your only coin in the in the green. Is that one for? I'm learning oh. as I go. You see, I'm in, I'm improving. Uh, yeah. I can't help yeah. but feeling like you maybe like cheated a bit there though, because the idea yeah. of us adding that one coin was to like learn about something new yeah. and moving twenty six dollars yeah. eighty into Bitcoin. Well, I've backed myself into a corner now because those all the coins I know about I own now. So right. next month I have to learn about a new one, don't I? There's yeah. no other way around it. Dogecoin so, inbound. <laughs> what was the uh, McDonald's one? Grimace coin. Yeah, Grimace coin. I wonder what that's doing. I'd be interested to see where that's at. Um, cool. Well, what about you, Mike? What was your trade a month? Great, great effort, Jack. Well, so my I took <laughs> some of my Sol. <laughs> I took a little bit of my Solana um, cool. and about a hundred bucks worth. So my trade price, uh, I it was one point one tokens of soul that i sold for almost 91 dollars. so uh, about 100 bucks when you average that out in soul and i bought avax which is avalanche so um avalanche is similar to soul uh cardano ethereum it is um what effectively the kind of like infrastructure for um smart contract development and yeah, I mean, it, it, I'll be honest with you. The reason that I bought it was that a couple of our clients that we've onboarded recently at Blocktal have talked to us about how they're now writing their smart contracts in um, Avalanche and using um, AVAX. So that was enough. It was kind of like the only, I don't want to call it insider trade. I definitely don't want to call it insider trading. And it's not, I'm sure it's not legally. Yeah. Um, but that was my kind of reasoning is it just sounded like, uh, that's where some of these newer projects um, are being built. Nice. So I bought it at a trade price price of $80.47, similar to yourself, a little bit last minute, bought it yesterday. Um, and it's now gone from $80.47 to a whopping $69.60 in about 24 hours. So cool. in that 24 hours, I have lost... 
13.5% in 24 hours and turned $98 into 85. So, you know. Like magic. Like magic. Why question? Mm -hmm. What a couple of questions, actually. So why Sol and how how much Sol have you got left now then? Not much at all. So I've now got my Sol portfolio is about 0.3. And yeah. one of the reasons is just how much Sol had dropped off. Like, dude, if you look at when we bought it, we bought it at 177 um, and it's now at 83 bucks. So is. yeah, whilst my uh, AVAX has dropped, Sol was actually dropped by a little bit more. So kind of a better trade would have just been moving it into US dollars, to be honest. And that's almost <laughs> been the I case. I mean, that applies for all our, all our trades yeah, so yeah. far. Really, but, um, Apart from my Bitcoin one. Apart from your um, Bitcoin one, which that you're learned, healthy. Learned from the master. Um, <laughs> well, no, actually, no, my um my mana trade was pretty oh, good. Sorry, yeah. I'm up 16 and a half percent on that one. So that's, that's a decent one. Yeah. Well, should, should we look at the um the final tables and, and see where yeah, we're at? That's what the people want to see, isn't it? So where, where are we sitting now? Um, and just a reminder, a friend of mine did say to me that we should put this disclaimer in. This is not financial advice. This is not yeah. investment advice. You should. That seek. should be the night. That should be the title of the pod, shouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, if and if you ever are looking for evidence as to why this is not financial advice, this table shows it. Jack has successfully, in less than two months, turned a thousand dollars into six hundred thirty-one. Well, maybe like put in sound yeah. effect of a round of applause there. Um, whereas I've turned my thousand dollars into 700. So a pretty impressive collective loss of about $670 in the special, Mm. about, about $10 a day we've lost as a a combined unit. That's a nice way of putting it. That's a nice way of putting it. A couple of coffees a day. A couple of coffees. Yeah. A couple of coffees. Yeah. Is, uh, it's a funny one, isn't it? Cause I don't know. It's not like. It's just a case of the whole market's plummeted, isn't it? And it's yeah. not like we've picked the wrong coins and missed out on some big gains in other coins. It's just been a complete collapse of a lot, the majority of the, the big coins in the market since January, hasn't it? For Pretty a myriad of reasons. Yeah. And there's like, I think, I don't know the exact number, but there the, are over a trillion dollars has been wiped off the total market cap, like the total value of the crypto market has dropped by over a trillion dollars um, since the start of the year. So yeah, like you say, we're, we're kind of joking. It's not necessarily that we're, te- it's not just that we're terrible traders. It's sure. also these market conditions. <laughs> <laughs> what is interesting yeah. is the, um, is how I read it on um, morning brew. Do you get that email every morning? It's quite a good, it's promoted on the podcast quite a lot, but it's like just like a summary of the markets and things every morning. And uh, the lead article was why isn't Bitcoin behaving like gold in mm. in these um, conditions? Because a lot of people predicted Bitcoin would become like digital gold and be a safe uh, sort of hedge against when the markets drop. And the article was quite interesting. It was saying how actually Bitcoin's behaving a lot more like the Nasdaq, like right. the digital like a tech stock effectively yeah um and that makes sense doesn't it because tech people interested in tech are far more likely to pick up and be interested in bitcoin than than people who aren't so well yeah this will be a couple of times off the pod and maybe on the pod as well 
but I also think the more institutional investors get into the crypto market, the more we'll see that when there are downturns in the stock market, the price of crypto will drop. And and the I, I, my this is just my opinion on this, my uneducated opinion, is that it's based on liquidity, right? So it's based on when markets drop, typically you want to move into cash as quickly as possible just to see how things shake out. Because if, if the market drops by 5%, you want to move into cash. If it starts going back up again, okay, maybe you reallocate or you hold and then it drops 10, 20, 30%. So people want to keep that liquidity. And they're also concerned about margin calls because most institutional investors are trading on leverage, right? Sure. And if you look at of all of the different asset classes, the easiest and most liquid assets are digital, they're digital currencies. Um, so my belief is just that it's, we're, we're going to continue to see that. And I don't think there will be a decoupling from mm. crypto in the stock market or not for a long, long time, at least. So if we Maybe, continue yeah. to see the markets drop, um, outside of crypto, like in the traditional stock markets, I think that we're probably going to see the same in crypto. And these, like, also you know, apply... the war in Russia is not helping. Like, you know, there's a lot yeah. of kind of external events that are affecting things at the moment. Yeah. But I guess didn't traditionally when the markets drop, institutional investors and retail ones go to gold to, to keep it safe, whereas they're not going to Bitcoin in that way. Yeah, or not it's yet, at least. That. But yeah, no, you're right. I, I still am very, very bullish. And I told you on the last pod, I bought more Bitcoin at 35K. When it dropped down to 32, I bought more at 35. And I have some more money on the sidelines to basically potentially buy more. And I'm still yeah. incredibly bullish on the space. And a big part of that is just working in blockchain recruiting and kind of, I've worked in tech recruiting for about 12 years now. And now very much specifically focused on blockchain recruiting all of the smartest people in the world, or not all, most of the smartest people in the world that traditionally have gone to these big tech companies, they're moving into crypto, they're moving into blockchain, all of the big um, tech companies are trying to get in some way involved, whether that's PayPal offering crypto services or Square renaming to block and becoming a crypto company, whether it's Facebook launching the metaverse. And when you get this kind of like nucleus of energy and intelligence and people moving into this new kind of ecosystem, there will be value within that. And then the technology itself, I still think is incredibly disruptive, but that we are just going to have these cycles. So it all comes for me comes down to what is your time horizon? And I don't plan, my, my time horizon is like five to 10 years, maybe yeah. even longer than that. But if you are looking to trade crypto, good fucking luck <laughs> like that. Good yeah, luck. day trade it. Yeah, you've yeah. said that. You said that last episode, I think as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess what I struggle with is, because yeah, as you described, like you're in that world very much in America now and you're, you rub shoulders every day with people passionate about crypto and that know most about it. I guess what I find hard is I remember at Christmas, I went for went for some Christmas drinks with Mark and met this guy uh, who was an ex-professional cricketer in the UK. Mm. And we were just talking and stuff. I mentioned we were talking about crypto in the pod. Uh, sure, of course, he had a crypto. He had Coinbase on his phone. But we were also talking about like, oh, I was asking him loads of questions about what it was like being a pro, all of this stuff, and about gambling because, you know, pro sports 
right. stars. It's a stereotypical thing that they have issues with gambling. And he was saying how actually nowadays, instead of gambling, all the sports stars are putting their money into crypto. So all those wages, they want to funnel their money into crypto. And that kind of like, I struggle with the idea that, okay, is that a good or bad thing? Because there's that famous um, that famous quote by an investor, I don't know his name, but in the just before the depression in the 30s or 40s, yes. again, don't know the details. He was getting his shoe shined by a, like a shoe shiner on Wall Street. Wait, the cricket and was? And his, no, no, this is... <laughs> no. Oh, so this investor, investor's cricket, cricket, he's a cricket, an actual, like a, like a grasshopper. <laughs> so he was getting his shoes shined by a shoe shiner in, on Wall Street and his shoe shiner had told him which stocks he had. And then he immediately went and sold all his stocks because that was a sign of a massive bubble to him. Mm. And I got that same impression from this cricketer. It was like, God, everyone's flooding their money in. Does that mean it's a bubble or does that mean it's a good thing? You know, how do you differentiate whether something is a bubble? And sure enough, the market crashed in January. Um, right. So I don't know if I should have seen that as a, you know, what you've described there, is that a sign of a bubble or because that's industry giants, is that a good thing? You know what I mean? How do, how do we know I which do, is and which? I'm not smart enough to know what the answer is to that, to be honest. But I also, I think that like the shoe shiner, bike, that's a great anecdote and it's a cool story. Could but... be bollocks. Yeah, well, well, no, I mean, it may be true. Maybe the shoe shiner did own some stuff, but he's not why the market crashed. It was that the banks were so heavily leveraged at the time. Like it was these huge institutional players. It wasn't like your mom and pop. Um, and there were like even global ramifications to the, the world economy and to what was going on in Germany at the time. So I don't think it was like little Timmy the shoe shine that was the reason that there was a right. global yeah, recession. Fair, fair, but, I, fair. but I still hear what you're saying that like it is with how many people own crypto now and talk about it and how much it's like you always say it's kind of coming into the zeitgeist does that mean it's a bubble um maybe but also maybe it means we're getting further and further into mass adoption like fate more and more yeah. people start i remember when facebook first came out everyone was just kind of like, oh yeah it's just like myspace but you have at the time you had to be a member of a university to go and as you know when i go to university so i felt a little bit left out but like that was yeah. me first hearing about it and then there were a few years when everything was Facebook. It's all anyone talked about. Now you could say they're like whatever everyone's talking about it and everyone's putting their pictures on, everyone's changing their relationship status. So is that a bubble because it's become part of the popular conversation? But no, it wasn't. It was just that Facebook became the number one adopted yeah. social media platform in the world. So I think if time will tell whether it's a bubble or not, but for me, I think the exciting thing is seeing really 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 smart people moving into this space and in a really committed way like jack dorsey is the found, founder of twitter founder of cash app and founder of square so as an entrepreneur he's founded three multi-billion dollar companies pretty pretty impressive kind of track record of success not bad, yeah, not yeah, bad. yeah not bad <laughs> not bad um could he do it on a rainy night in Bristol? Like? But um, yeah, no, so he's a super successful guy and he's stepped down as the CEO of Twitter to focus on crypto projects and to focus on his passion for crypto. Mm. You've got people like Elon Musk, a little bit crazy, but also a genius 
um, in his own right, an entrepreneur that has got more and more involved into crypto was one of the early adopters there. Michael Saylor, lesser well-known, but is a rocket science, like a legit rocket scientist that now runs a tech company called MicroStrategy. He's the longest standing CEO of a publicly traded tech company incredibly intelligent guy and he has almost all of his money and all of MicroStrategy's balance sheet now in bitcoin one of the biggest holders of bitcoin in the world and these people are far more intelligent than us and they're not doing it to make a quick buck like for me when something is scary or potentially a bubble it's when you mate dave at the pub is trying to like put some money into something for a quick turnaround make 50 bucks and then run out and everyone's trying to just make a quick buck these are like bigger yeah seismic shifts than that i think and he, and even we're now seeing as you posted about this recently on linkedin there are all of these pub leaders within the public sector, within the SEC, within the IRS, within different regulatory bodies that are going to work within crypto. And I think that in itself is significant that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear, but, I hear but, what you're saying. I, hear what I, you're I know saying. I'm rambling a bit, but one, the, the one bit of skepticism, the tiny bit of skepticism I have is that I still don't, I really understand the case for Bitcoin. But with some of the other like layer twos or alternative tokens, mm. I still feel like I want to understand more of like, how does the use case for that token correlate with the price, right? Because that is what defines how or will define how successful a, an investment it is. Like what affects the price of ETH outside of just speculation and people trying to use it as an investment tool, you know? Mm. But yeah, anyway, you know, I'm, I'm fucking all in on this now. And I'm, I'm, I, what I'm finding though is now when the markets drop, I don't have any, I used to be like more concerned and like, oh no, is this a scam? Whereas I feel like the further into this space I've gotten, the more super smart people I've met in the crypto space and the blockchain space, the more now I genuinely do just see it as an opportunity to buy more at a lower price. And at the end of this year or in five years from now, you again, you might clip this up <laughs> when I'm living on your sofa. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think we'll see. I feel like you're becoming more and more skeptical um, as time goes on and as the price drops, which, which I think is very fair. I think it's more what I, the more I learn about it. I don't know. I don't know what I am with it. Well, how much I mean, do you think it's correlating with the price versus like your skepticism increasing is correlating with the price versus you learning more? Say that again. Sorry, it was, let me rephrase that. Like if Bitcoin right now was a hundred K, do you think mm -hmm. you would have the same skepticism as you do now? Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. yeah. I think Which, it's, but again, it's, that's it's very interesting. It's very interesting that your the price dropping hasn't impacted your skepticism. At all um, this time, like at all, to a point yeah, where that is just making me just want to buy more. Yeah. But that is, yeah, who knows? That could be proved to be a very poor decision in the long, in the long term. Let's hope not. Let's hope not. Right. Let's wrap it up, Mikey boy. Yeah. Great episode okay. again. Uh, so next yeah. week, we're hopefully going to do our metaverse app, right? We'll yeah, for and, sure. Try and dig into Decentraland and, and some of the other metaverse yeah. platforms. No doubt about it. And we'll, um, yeah, as we say, if you're watching this on YouTube, welcome to our channel, our new channel. Uh, but if you're in Scandinavia, listen on Spotify, we love you too as well. And we'll how, do you stay say, on this. how do you say goodbye in uh, 
in Finnish. I did look up thank you in Norway, but I felt like I was being conned a bit. I'm just going to say it anyway. You look it up in Finnish, I'll do the Norwegian yeah. one. All right. So, to our Norwegian, right, this to this sound right to you. Google's telling me, tax skal duha is thank you in Norway. That's like four words. That's quite big. That's... When you send, does that sound right to me? What? <laughs> How am I meant to like, there's a double any... K in there. There's a double K. Is that Madness. normal? Anyway. Um, well, yeah. to our Finnish listeners, I would just like to say, Hivasti. Jeez. What was that? Hivasti. Hivasti. What's that? That sounds quite good, actually. That's uh, good. Fuck you. No, it's um, that's goodbye. <laughs> that's good. Goodbye <laughs> to our Australian listeners. Uh, g'day, mate. Good morning. Uh, yeah, good. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, we'll um, cool. All right. Yeah. See you next time, Jackie boy. Yep. Yeah, see you later. Bye bye.